Hello and welcome to another episode of The Maker Podcast. My name is Mitch and I'm a generalist creative working in Melbourne. This week we've got screen composer Nick Kumashov. Nick makes music for games, films and even for tabletop. Nick only graduated from uni two years ago, but he's already managed to score 30 short films among other projects. So this week we talk about the differences in making music for film versus making music for games. Uh, what Nick's personal process is for making music and how to overcome the ceiling when you're just starting out. We get into the nitty gritty of the different methods of creating adaptive game scores that change depending on what the player does. Uh, we get into what resources he usually might need before scoring a film. One of which sometimes is this thing called an emotional contour, which apparently is the chart of an emotional journey of a film, which I thought was pretty cool. So if I speak about myself personally, uh, I'm no musical expert. Uh, I will play on Logic Pro every now and then or play a couple of instruments, but I'm an avid listener of soundtracks and I love music that can set a tone. So I'm keen to share this conversation. Nick is really passionate about what he does, so I hope you enjoy. But before we get started, I thought I'd show a few sections of some of Nick's tracks to give you an understanding of some of his music. So here we go. So how would you describe what you do and what's your job title? Do you just say composer? Um, I like to say just composer because when you, you get things like, at the moment, I, I say like screen composer. Um, okay. But that sort that of does cool. put you in the box of like the digital age. Um, yeah. I, I've always liked the idea of composing for um, more traditional things like a, a play or something like that. Um, but yes the the thing that makes the money is being a screen composer which is sort of an all-encompassing title for film tv game just about anything you can slap a, on the screen mm, yeah cool what kind of stuff have you done recently or what have you done in the past like what kind of films i suppose uh for films uh it's been sort of a huge variety of um mostly like <laughs> Uh, student projects uh, with a whole bunch of different directors, a whole bunch of different sort of backgrounds and um, styles. A couple of um, more I had um, there's a writers festival called Speculate um, mm. that happens every now and then. A speculative fiction writers festival. Um, for the last two years or so, I have been doing little um, sort of themes for their some videos that they make, promotional material. All right, um, cool. But I've done. Well, the film that I'm working on now is my 30th film. It's my 30th, That's um, wild. you know, short, short film. And um, I've worked on a feature length film, which didn't get released because they had some legal issues, <laughs> but it was like a, <laughs> it was like an 83 minute film, which, really? you know, scoring an 83 minute film is different to scoring a short, shorter film. Oh man. Yeah. So what happened to that music? Did they, could you release um, the music or what happened no, to that No, I didn't end up releasing the music for that one. I mean, it's just sort oh, of, that sucks. you know lost in time but i guess at some point i probably could did you finish the score yeah yeah i did finish the score oh man that's a shame <laughs> yeah but it was a an interesting interesting experience i mean it was one of the biggest um you know every now and then you get projects that ask you to write music for like significant amounts of of um media like mm. a lot of music and um it sort of changes how you approach it yeah i can imagine 
but 30, 30 short films you've already scored. When did you graduate uni? Jeez, uh, was it two years ago? Uh, yeah, it was two years ago. Two years yeah, ago. Right. I, uh, is that, I got started. Is that, is that like the, sorry to interrupt, but is that like the no, normal sorry. amount of, you know, projects that your peers have kind of worked on or are you like special? Um, <laughs> well, no, well, it depends because um, a lot of it is luck and reputation and um, I guess skill kind of informs reputation, but a lot of it is luck and reputation. So mm. um, somebody who's, you know, a little bit more well-off probably would have worked on more films than me, but in comparison to my peers when I was at uni, I think I've um, definitely have always had sort of m- more films on my plate and um, mm-hmm. that's, that's not always a good thing, but um, <laughs> it, could be, it could be stressing sometimes. I mean, when I got started in 2016, like, that was, I remember the first film I ever scored was um, my lecturer gave it to me before, you know, I was technically ready for it because um, I, I can't remember exactly what he, what he said to me, but I sort of have an interesting pathway into when I started doing music at uni and um, the right. lecturer I had at the time and I had a sort of a, a, you know, a relationship where he would guide me and mentor me and gave me this film pretty early on. And that sort of was my introduction to the world of film scoring. Yeah, right. Yeah, is, is that did you consider that like your like your foot in to working on you know larger projects that did you know projects that weren't personal work? Yeah, well, I mean, it it was my introduction to doing film as a business. Sorry, doing music as a business, doing music mm, as okay. a, you know, selling music in a way. Like, I didn't start charging until a little bit later on, but you know, obviously, yeah. when I started, I was doing it for free, um, and. Uh, by the end of 2016. So, I mean, it's kind of like, I don't know how, how in depth you want to get into it, but, um, yeah, as in depth as you want to get <laughs> basically the way they would do it is, um, at the end of each year of uni. So it was a three year degree. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> they would organize a collaboration with Swinburne and in your third year you would work with Deacon and the oh. way it would work is that, um, you would go and sort of see like these film kids, pitch their ideas. So you would go to Swinburne or you would go to Deacon, you would sit in the auditorium and listen to the various production teams come up one by one and they're pitching their ideas to you as a composer. They are talking right. to you um, one by one. Uh, that is also incidentally how I met Freya. Oh, right. Yeah. My lovely uh, girlfriend. <laughs> my lovely girlfriend. She was a director at the time. Um, oh, interesting. Now in animation. But um, yeah, she she was a director at the time and yeah, you, you would go in and listen to them speak and make notes on, you know, which ones you wanted to work on, which ones you didn't want to work on. They would, um, you know, you'd sort of afterwards go to a bar and hang out and talk about the films. And then a little while after you as a composer would pick which ones you want to work on. And now you were instructed mainly to pick one, but if you really wanted to go ham, you could pick two. And I picked Mm. two. Um, (laughs) And the idea was that you would pitch for two, but only get one. Right. So, if you do it by the books, the way it would work is that you pitch for two films. Um, you might not, you know, you're probably not going to get one of them and you'll get the other one, but you know, it increases mm. your chances of getting one that you, you know, the one that you want um, as opposed to maybe pitching for one film and then not getting it. And then they just give you some other random film that you didn't want. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so what ended up happening was I pitched for two films and I got, I, I didn't get one of them. Um, the one film, the two films I pitched for, one of them was uh, some other film, and one of them was um, Freya's film. 
And incidentally, I did get Freya's film. Um, So, you know, all the Swinburne guys came in and we pitched to them in a very similar way, which was essentially consisting of getting up on stage, showing off your ideas for a score, presenting yourself as a composer. And, you know, we had a couple of characters in that class who, you know, you really did have your character as a composer come out in those moments where it was like, okay, you all, you're the serious one. You've got some, something weird going on, you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I ended up with, I mean, God, it was, I ended up with, I think five films at the time, Mm. all in the span of like a couple of, you know, all in the same time span, because at the time I was um, on my excursion to LA um, cause we had a, a, uh, film composers sort of, um, education, uh, excursion to LA. Yeah. I want to talk about that as well. Let's make a note yeah. to go back to that. Cause that's, yeah, that's yeah, cool. cool. Um, but on the, on the plane ride over, um, again, that lecturer, that same lecturer who introduced me to that, my first film, he, we were on the um, plane and he says, Nick, look, you know, we were, we were stretching our legs. Um, and he said, Nick, look, there's a film and no one wants it. No one. Hmm. It was the one film that no one wanted. Everybody turned it down. Um, <laughs> and the reason why is because the people who were pitching that film said that they already had a composer. And it turned out nice. that that person was just like some dude on their crew who kind of wanted to do the music. And so instantly, uh... every single person, every single composer, I was, I was in the row. I looked up and down and I saw every single person put a big fat cross over that film, including myself. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So that was everyone's no, no. Um, That's funny. And he offered me the film. He was like, look, Nick, it's going to be, you know, pretty hard work because you're already on, you know, two films. Do you want another one? And uh, I said, yeah, of course because my mindset my mindset back then was like it's all or nothing you know i was going as hard as i could i wanted to do the best i could in every class i wanted to be the top as often as possible i wanted to you know i considered myself a hotshot and my mindset has changed so drastically since those days but (laughs) like it it was an interesting peak of of a time for you know my my how i perceived film scoring how i perceived being a composer and making music for other people because you know um, I would be recognized because of this, you know, uh, somebody mm. would ask, Hey, aren't you the guy who's working on like 10 films? And I'd be like, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's only, a, only a few, but you know, and that, and that's sort of how I got more and more films and started building up this reputation was that I, I sort of got this reputation for, you know, if you need someone to score a film, just give it to, give it to Kumashov and he'll do it no matter yeah, what, right. you know, I would take Ooh. jobs like, you know, someone would be like, Hey, uh, you know, on the train, they'd be like, Hey, I've got a film. Do you want it? And I'd be like, yeah, sure. No problem. And they would just build up. <laughs> wow. So well, yeah. when you're taking on that many projects, are you thinking like, oh, yeah, I can do this. No problem. Or are you like half <laughs> shit in your pants or something? <laughs> it depends. It depends because, um, back then it was a different time for me really in terms of the, not only the people I was working with, but the mindset when I was approaching these films. And, yeah. um, honestly, I felt like I could tackle it pretty well. It was stressful, but nowhere near as stressful as the years to come. And, mm. um, I never really took on that many films again per se. I mean, I've had many times where I've had like a couple going at the same time, but, right. um, at that time I had like, you know, a couple films from the Swinburne boys. I had, um, 
a uh, a friend of mine, I think, who went to RMIT, or a friend of his that went to RMIT, get, got me a film from them. Um, and at the time, it was really just like, I mean, it was constant work. It was constant, like, going back and forth. And um, because I considered myself something of a, a hotshot, I was often in my emails very, like, assertive about, like, I am the composer. It must be like this, <laughs> you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah. uh, you know, it turned out that, um, you know, that film that nobody wanted, the one yeah. that everyone turned down, turned out that the director for that film has become honestly like, you know, a really, really close friend of mine. Um, right. we, he's, I've worked on tons of his films. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's a great, great guy all around. Yeah, um, awesome. and during that period I met some of the, uh, you know, best people I've ever met in film some of the most passionate people I've ever met in film and obviously my girlfriend who I love very much. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so that's... yeah, it was, a, it was a good time. Um, it was often like, I guess the difference is cause the difference was that I feel like, um, none of the other composers were really going to these like film guys' parties and stuff mm. at the time. Um, I got invited to a Halloween party, um, and then I got invited to another one and another one. And every time that I was at one of these parties, some guy would come up to me and be like, you know, I've got a film or something like that. Right. Um, and that's sort of how it ended up piling on and how I got that reputation. Um, and that was basically my transferring over from first year to second year and um, building up that, that mindset of mine that I could do anything. Yeah. Right. So it's been just, you know, getting around passionate people and meeting them and, yeah, Letting I mean, them I know that you make music and have you, have uh, you ever yeah. like asked for a, a project or tried to like apply per se for something or has that um, just been things not, that people have come not to you? for film a couple, a couple of times. Um, it's, it is interesting that, yeah, mostly the majority of all the work I've gotten has been people coming to me. I've very rarely gone out and actually had to find a, a film. I have a couple of mm. times applied to certain, um, film projects here and there that have been around okay. and, um, yeah it's like it's different when you have to cold call or when they don't even know who yeah, you are and it's like totally. there's no telling whether they're even going to look at it um yeah dealing and with especially that. With is, is that something you want to do more of or is that a game uh, that not, for you? not with film not with film but yeah. with games um working on games i have no problem with the idea of like going out and putting in the hard mile uh to uh, find those projects and those people who are really worth working for yeah, fair enough. Well, let's talk about that for a sec. Because, yeah, just before this, you were telling me about you know, the differences between working on films mm. and games. Yeah, yeah. And maybe you're kind of opening up more of a game avenue because you feel like it's more of a collaboration. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, what do you what do you want to know? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, where should I start? The main difference between making music for film and game is that film is always linear it is always the same yeah you always have a film that goes for 10 minutes or so you know however long the film goes that's how long it's going to go for the music that you put on that film unless they try to mess with it in the mixing stage and make you very upset <laughs> um will always be where it is and it will never change every time you listen to it it's the same with game though um, especially with games today or games that are a little bit more in depth games that have a lot more going on. The music can be extremely interactive. It can be, mm. it can be so multifaceted that it's insane. 
Uh, and it often calls upon having to think very differently about the music that you make because you don't have to worry about making your music loop well or making your music transition well or, you know, it's a whole different ball game doing music mm. for a game. But you still have to apply that same mentality from film, which is like, I serve the story. I serve the, the, the core. I serve the aesthetic of this game. I serve the aesthetic yeah. of this film. I am here to translate what you want as a director or what you want um, in a game and what the vibe is into music that, you know, aesthetically fits, it flows with whatever's going on and it, it's just, you know, as perfect as it can be. But mm. um, for game, that's requires, that requires a lot, uh, a lot more um, finesse, I would say. Yeah. Tech- you, yeah. I was going to say like the technical side, mm. do you have that technical mindset when you're making the music because you're thinking about, okay, this is area is going to have this and it's going to, yep. you know, stitch 100%. to that different one. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. You cannot go into making music for games without having that kind of mindset because yeah. um, let's say you're just some some composer who's maybe studied traditional um, composition. Um, pardon me. You're, um, I guess you're used to writing in a traditional style um, and then you start putting yourself on a project for a game. Uh, uh, you're going to hit so many hurdles, like mm. especially if you don't play games already. Like the first step to being able to make good music for games is having your head around how good games sound. Yeah. And the best way to have that is by playing plenty of them and listening very closely to the things that they do. And I mm. can get pretty in depth onto some of the interesting techniques that um, you're going to see and hear in, in these games. Like you maybe after this, you'll play a video game and you'll hear something that you might not have otherwise picked up on. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Let's go into that then. Well, what, what inspires you if you think of a, a video game that inspires you musically. What was your, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Mm. Maybe something recent. Well, it's not necessarily a technical achievement, but um, the music for uh, Disco Elysium is really good. All right. Okay. Um, that's a that's just in terms of the uh, aesthetic and and the sound. I mean, it's really well made and has a perfect aesthetic. Um, I but played technically, um, what have I been playing recently? Ghost of Tsushima is a recent game that came out that has oh, yeah. had some really nice um, audio programming in there. I think uh, Doom 2016, Doom Eternal. Oh, yeah, we can talk those, about that forever. Those ones come up a lot. Um, it's not necessarily a complex technique, but it's used very effectively. And you know what's interesting in Doom 2016? Well, you know how they had the whole, um, like, the drop stitching together with the glory kills? Uh-huh. Yeah. And then they threw it out in the next one Yeah. in, in Eternal. Yeah. What's with that? I don't know. I mean, I it's... They, 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 I think Mick Gordon was like, it just didn't work as well or something, but that was like one of my favorite things about the first one because you just... It was cool, yeah. It, it helped like, with the flow of the music. Like maybe sometimes it was a bit... Like the music was a bit stuttery because yeah. it didn't always work, but I think well worth it. The thing, You know, you can group things like that, like what Mick Gordon was doing in Doom, what you hear a lot in most modern games um, is... You can call it interactive or adaptive music. Mm. And basically it's putting parameters to the aspects of your music and having them change while the game is playing. So yep. as an example, um, your, let's say the Witcher three or something where, mm-hmm. you know, one of those open world games like ghost of Tsushima um, and you're in a field, you're just walking around. There's no combat, nothing. You're just exploring. And maybe you have some nice, you know, peaceful exploration music or whatever, but you know, the, the people who made the game and you as a composer have no idea when the player is going to enter combat unless it's like a scripted thing, but 
you, I mean, you have no idea when he's going to decide to walk into the forest and fight some monsters or something. Yeah, yeah, totally. You can't write it in that linear fashion. You have to write music that basically for different states and then tie like transitions into each other. And if you want them to be really smooth, it's some crazy stuff you can do. You can have like, um, they call it vertical layering and horizontal layering. And vertical layering, I mean, mm. depending on where you learned those terms, they're either going to be reversed. So like some people think that the um, meaning of vertical layering is actually the meaning of horizontal layering. And some people get it the other way around. And okay. I honestly don't know why it's like that because the way I see it is um, vertical layering is if you imagine all the instruments and all the tracks in a piece of music split up, right? You can imagine yep. them vertically stacked on top of each other. Yep. So let's like say I have a, like your like your logic or something. Yeah, in your in your logics, in your Cubases, in your Ableton's, whatever. Yeah. Um, you see them all stacked up of into, on top of each other. And let's say for our example piece of music, we have a bass, a kick, um, like a rhythm section, um, some strings or whatever. And we want this piece of music to be looping. And let's say that while the player's just walking around, he's just minding his own business. All you hear is the guitar. All you're hearing is the guitar just playing along. And then smoothly, with no transition, with no cutting, with nothing, when he c gets into a fight, all of a sudden, these other layers start fading in. Mm -hmm. And so the bass starts to kick in when he's fighting. And then mm -hmm. let's say that you tie it to how many enemies there are in an environment. So now there's five enemies. And once that parameter has been like, you know, ticked to, now because there's five enemies, the drums come in and they're going dum, da -ka -dum, da -ka -dum, da -ka -dum, yeah. or whatever. And now let's say you're dying, you're really low on health. And most games, what they'll do is put a, um, a filter over the top. They'll put a low pass filter. So oh, everything yeah. gets, you know, it kind of goes. Yeah, I can see that. You know, um, and then we can also tie like the strings to that. And so the strings are doing this epic melody while you're having this fight for your life. And the whole time it's looping perfectly. There's no cuts, there's no jarring. And you as a player aren't even thinking about it. You're just like, damn, the music's doing all this crazy stuff. Yeah, okay, yeah, cool. Um, well, that makes so sense. That's that, example, I mean, technically yeah. that'd be a pretty simple thing to do, right? Because you're just kind of fading off different tracks depending yep, on yep. different, you yep. know? So that's vertical layering. And but, horizontal but, layering but horizontal, is a little yeah. bit more complex at times so what horizontal layering is let's say in our first section of music like we have an a section a b section a c section whatever and um we can have vertical layering and horizontal layering at the same time so we can have um you know all that stuff we just talked about with the layers fading in and out of each other but it's still just that one section it's still just that one bit that maybe it's a chord progression or a rhythm in particular that goes dun da dum da dum da dum or whatever and then when something happens, you want it to go to the next section. You actually want it to move horizontally along the yeah. track now to the next section. So, but you have no idea when that will happen, right? So yeah. let's say that the the track is going, you know, dum da da dum da da dum da da dum, or something like that. Mm -hmm. They could be halfway through that melody when it needs to switch. Yeah. And if it's done poorly, it'll be like dum da 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 you know and it'll be like switching and cutting really jarringly because it's trying to go from section to section but because it's only like a quarter of the way through a piece of music it's now trying to put it on a new one and so again yeah so how do you how do you make that smooth um you have to do individual uh so okay you can do two ways from what I've seen. And I'm in by no means like, you know, I haven't worked on these big AAA projects, so they do probably do things differently. But the way I do it is um, you either write the piece of music itself in such a fashion that 
um, even if it changes at any bar, at any bar at all, it won't sound weird. So if I have a rhythm that goes dum 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 dum, it's pretty. You know, it could change at any point. It could go dum 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 and you probably wouldn't notice it. Um, and I mean, I can get into it, but the tools that you use for this um, have their own name called audio middleware. And there's a couple different okay. programs that you use, and they are basically DAWs. So, <laughs> I sort of probably sound like I'm racing ahead here. Pardon me, no, if no, I, that's right. you know, but um, you know, they are basically like your Ableton's, your Cubases, and stuff, but geared for um connecting to a game engine, so that you can tie all these mm. parameters to each other, and you don't have to go digging around in the code. You don't have to mess around with what the programmers are doing. You can just say, "Hey, programmer, I've got a parameter for this piece of music that says." When the player is at 50% health, this happens. And you give him an event, and the, and the program is like, sick, I'll, I'll work with that, no problem. But, um, and does it just send it to a different part on the same track, or is it, is it, loading, in, is it loading in different tracks? Well, yes, tracks? so here's what can happen. You can tell it to, um, you can mark points at when it can change. So you can say, um, I want this track to have its transition points every bar, or every second, or every whatever. Or you can go in and be really finite and... Um, well, not finite, but you know, detailed, and um, put them in very specific places yourself, and have these custom transition cues, as it were. Um, mm. So you can say, like, if my track goes, um, if I, if my rhythm, like, you know, for section A, goes, and you know, those faster bits that are like, might be really weird if it tries to transition there. And so, even if I put a cue in between them it's going to sound weird. So I would go in there and say, okay, well, if for whatever reason, a transition point in the game happens while it's stuck in one of those fast bits, I'm just going to nudge it so that it transitions a little bit later when it feels better in the track. And you probably won't notice it, but in the game, you're playing, and it's going to hang just a little bit longer on that until it's found a, a nice spot to transition. Does that make sense? I probably sound yeah. like I'm going no, 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 crazy. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, um, not, man, your passion's coming through for this. Like, I love it. Yeah. And so that's is, one that way to do it. That gets me excited. Yeah. That's, that's okay. one way to do it because that's like, you're not really doing anything else. You're just sort of picking spots. You're composing a section with that in mind. You're like, you know, making good transition points. And that can be really, really weird when you have a piece of music that doesn't constrain itself to um, time, to time signatures. Like mm. if it's really yeah, flowy or if it's really like long form, like strings are doing this long, beautiful, like, you know, um, yeah, legato, yeah, yeah. you know, or, or sustained notes or whatever. And all of a sudden it wants to change to a new section. The strings are going to be going like, Duh, and then all of a sudden in the middle, it's just going to be like, no, new section. Yeah. So, one of the ways to get around that is, and it still it sort of involves using these transition cues, but you create stingers or separate pieces of audio, little nuggets that you would call transitions that aren't okay. the sections per se, but they're little like other sections that they sort of branch off to when they need to transition. Oh, right. So, Oh, yeah. I think I've seen this in, in some of Mick Gordon's live streams, actually. I think that's... Yeah. yeah so, okay. another example... And I go my I'll do my dugger to dugger to thing. Yeah, but yeah. let's say, you know, the first section is going and the next bit is going and transitioning between them, I want a little little nugget, a little section that I can pull from. And so yeah. maybe I'll make that section bum 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 bum. And so every time yeah, I want to transition. 
it's going to go section A is going whatever he was doing. And then when it needs to transition, it'll play that section. It'll play that transition thing and go bum, 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 bum. And then it'll go into the next section. Yeah, yeah. That's so you're so basically, cool. you could imagine it like if you imagine the sections of music are little blocks next to each other, the yep. transitions are like smaller blocks placed on top that bridge the gaps. And yeah. these transitions are only played when they need to go from section to section. Yeah, that's really cool. But it, so it doesn't matter that it's not. How do, how do I say it? Like, like you've got you've got a few seconds for it to transition. You know, it's not going to have to be straight be, on the beat. Or sometimes it is. Sometimes it has to be. Ah, okay. So sometimes you can make these transitions take a, a bit more time. It can be like it. This like if you, you know, if you're like walking to a new zone or something. In it, exactly. You know, exactly. Yeah. I've crossed a threshold from one area to another, and I don't want the, my my lovely desert music to immediately go into like the aqua temple music. Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> Um, so the transition can be slower and it's yeah. like, okay, um, bip, we've ticked this parameter that says he's transition. Oh, actually in that case, it would be a state. That's a different story. In that yeah. case, it would be a state because the state of the game has changed to such a degree that it's not really like small parameters, like, um, how much health you have, but like, is the player alive? Is the player dead? Is the player in the desert zone? Is the player in the aquatic zone or whatever? Mm. These are more like states the game can be in. And so let's say we've crossed that threshold. It's, it's telling the game, all right, he's uh, it's gone from desert to water. And I say, okay, I want the transition to happen like maybe a couple seconds later or something, or I want it to fade in or I want it to fade out. And these transitions can be, in all honesty, if you become a real whiz at these middleware programs, yeah. it's, I mean, it is actually insane the level of control <laughs> that you can have over the wow. music. You can go mad with power i swear you can tie <laughs> i mean it's almost like an, a mixing program you can tie all kinds of things to parameters in the one of the games i'm working on now um the whole point is the game of the game is that you have to stay near this light and the further okay. away you get from the light the darker obviously it gets but also the more dangerous it gets and you start to you know hurt get hurt by it um and to represent that what i have is you know obviously parameter distance from light the further away you get from the light, things in the score will change. But not just from a composition standpoint. The pitch of the the, the track will start to drop, and it goes. Uh, <laughs> That's cool. And at the same time, it's time stretching it as well. So it's starting to go. If the track's going like da 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 da, and it gets like it's really creepy, is it? Yeah, it's like stretching sick, out and going down in pitch. I mean, it's mental. Ah oh, man, these middle bit. Yeah, that's really cool. So this, is this the kind of is this does this get you more excited about? You know, is yes. this like a bit of a, a nice change from filming? Like now I can get a like really creative yes. and technical with it. Yes. You know. And I find that in comparison to working in a game setting and in, as opposed to working for a film is that like, you know, um, you often have the, I mean, look, I could, I'm, I'm speaking from my experience. So I'm sure there's tons of composers for games out there, especially AAA games who have this a lot. Cause I find that mm. this happens as soon as money is involved, like a lot of money, it yeah. starts to get way more crazy, um, less freedom. But yeah, okay. from my experience, like in, in, in film, the director is a lot of the time, uh, it's kind of a bad way of saying it, but breathing down your neck. He's mm. like, you know, sometimes you get directors who are very like, they want to dig their fingers into the score and tear it apart. Or they want to like, you know, can you nudge this piano note like five seconds to the left? Or they want to yeah. like, 
really get into it and just and i can i I can definitely relate to that with you know non-music projects and i'm sure that kind of ripples across all mediums what you get so someone that that wants something in a very particular way you know and i'm sure you you get that with a lot of creative directors no matter where you're in like yeah same with game right but in the experience that i have with game is that you know with film you're always almost always at least unless you have a really nice relationship with the director you're almost always this outsider you're a contractor and Mm. they say they care about you and you know they do to an extent but they don't you know invite you to their team chat or anything like that they don't you know keep you updated on what's going on and in most cases depending on how much experience they have leave you out of the loop completely Mm. they i have heard so many things from composers of my age and greater and with all kinds of different experiences i mean way up to the top of the line i'm talking in hollywood this happens all the time they you're sort of treated like um at its worst a cog in the machine mm-hmm. at its best a friendly jukebox <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're a yeah. friendly jukebox i can imagine um, and you know they want they want to try to direct you and try to tell you what to do but let's be honest if they could do it themselves they would yeah that's the vibe you get a lot of the time i can imagine um, but yeah you want to be there uh, you want to be there in the creative process and exactly you want to, you want to be part of it and, and um you know, I, th- yeah. I think that's what i can relate to that as well because you know as working as a graphic designer in in a in a team of people that aren't designers when you're you kind of feel like you're on the island you know everyone else is yes. working on the project yeah. and then you're there kind of observing and then putting your work on top of it yeah but, i mean i'm uh, yeah <laughs> is that how you feel I mentioned, yeah i mean i mentioned my mindset changing over the years which did pretty drastically and i mean i know we're sort of jumping from topic to topic it uh, probably sounds awful so. ah, no, no 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 not at all it's just a regular you know, conversation but, um in terms of the way you know directors treat you like they're not all bad and you get a lot of people who really are mean well and you know sometimes you get people who are really inexperienced they don't know how to describe what they want at all and it's yeah. your job as okay. a composer to try to to figure out what they want but the main thing i have seen in every or almost all film experiences i've had is that yes you are an outsider and they can be really friendly with you invite you to meetings and stuff but you're not part of the team really you're a contract you're a Mm. um you know you're the last little cherry on top really in most cases in film if they really like you um they'll contact you in pre-production They'll get you on board straight away. They'll ask how you feel. Maybe they'll have you write some sweets or something like that um, to help sort of give the vibe early on. But if they don't know you or if you're just working with your everyday, you know, contracting sort of freelance thing, a lot of the time you're brought on in post-production towards the end and everyone's at the end of their rope, I guess. Everyone's like, have been working on this film for God knows how long. And uh, all of a sudden there's this new guy who's been brought in and he's... You know, I mean, as a composer, no matter what, you want to be creative, right? You want to inject your vision. And like I said earlier, serving the story should be a good composer's, um, like that should be at the heart of what every decision he makes in film, it should be serve the story. Yeah. Right. And um, you always want to try to do that, but it can, it can be... It can be odd for some people when they're bringing you, you're bringing a composer on for the first time at the end of a project. Everyone has had their creative fill. The director's telling people what to do. The cinematographer's done his thing. Mm, maybe and you're coming at the very maybe, end. You know, and, yeah, totally. You're coming at the end. Maybe they've argued a hundred times before you've shown up. The director could hate everyone on that set. 
you know, you're, who knows what kind of set you're coming onto because they've already established relationships with each other. They've already got sort of an environment that they've been working in and you're sort of flung into that. And this is usually why meeting with them before working with them is like your time to test the waters and see, okay, what kind of, what's going on? You know, what's the relationship between everyone? Does, does the uh, producer hate the director or does the director hate the cinematographer who hates <laughs> the, uh, you know, um, whoever's doing the dollies? Who, does, uh, who hates who is what you want to find out first. Yeah. Uh, it can get pretty intense. And I mean, it's not, not always a serious hate, you know, how it is. Like, but yeah. film sets, my God, they can be brutal. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, being brought on at the last second, injecting your creative essence into the film it's like that's interesting challenge isn't it because you're you're coming on to this already established thing yeah and you're trying to be Mm. you right that's the one thing i remember hearing when i when we were in hollywood on that excursion all the you know great composers we talked to who were established in their field you know making tons of money doing super well one thing that was the resounding common thread they mentioned was you want to be you. You want to do you. you. You want to do you. You don't want to be the next Hans Zimmer because if somebody wants Hans Zimmer, in the end, they'll just get Hans. Mm. You don't want to be the next Danny Elfman because they'll just get Danny. You know, Thomas yeah. Newman. Doesn't matter what composer inspires you. If you're straight, just being that composer in the professional field, they're just going to pick that composer. They're just going to get him. And in the end, do you really want to be a voice. discount Hans? Do you really yeah. want to be a discount Danny or a Alan? But yeah, well, can, can we talk about that for a sec as well? Like, what about <laughs> with um, you know, finding inspirations in things? Like, that's one. Yeah, of, yeah. That's one of my things. Like this, this whole podcast <laughs> is is me looking at a bunch of podcasts that I like listening to and being like, I want to make a version of that. And then maybe over time, it it will change into something else. But do mm-hmm. you feel like that with music? Do you listen to things and you feel like, oh, maybe I'm pulling a bit too close to the original one on this? Or I guess. How, how do you find um, your own voice in in your music? Okay, well. I think the first thing is that um, every nothing really is original, like properly. I mean, like yeah. everyone, you know, even if it's this you know great new film you're working on, you feel like you've written something that no one's ever seen before. Like in a lot of cases, you are being inspired by something else, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yes, yeah. Um, even from a music standpoint, you know, you're writing a new piece of music in whatever style, and um, you might be trying to push new ground or try new things, but in the end we are obviously standing on the shoulders of giants in a lot of cases, um, yeah. especially with music, especially yes. in Western music. Yeah. Um, you think where, of, you like, know, like, like, like whatever, um, you know, like star Wars and stuff, you think, okay, that's the kind of the, that's the space music. Like you think of that specific tone <laughs> and those melodies like that, that makes me think well, of I space, mean, but it's only because uh-huh, of, yeah. Hans, big, as a, yeah, sorry, go on. Sorry, go on, go on, go on. No, 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 I don't want to interrupt you, man. <laughs> That's all right. But I was a bit like, just there's, it's like there's a musical palette of of imagery yep. where you, that's yeah. just been established from things that have happened before. So, you, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, that can go pretty, you know, in, in a few different directions. But yeah, I mean, Hans, as amazing as he is, and obviously, like, incredible composer, has created this hybrid, sc- I mean, I would call it hybrid scoring, where it's like orchestral and electronic stuff at the same time i don't think he i don't know if he pioneered it or he definitely does it all the time and Mm. that very quickly became the film scoring sound the big epic the the overwhelming um and you see it all the time and there's nothing wrong with that you know you can make incredible music in any genre even if it's been done a million times and if you like it and other people like it just you know do your thing there's no reason to to be upset about it but when it comes to pulling inspiration from things with me and my music i mean I am 100% always inspired by, you know, um, the composers who inspire me from, you know, 
growing up, composers that I mm. listen to all the time, games that I listen to, but, you know, I'm inspired by art as well. I'm inspired by movies that I watch. I'm inspired by, I mean, it's going to sound cheesy, I guess. I don't know. But in terms of what inspires me to keep doing what I'm doing, even when I'm in the hardest, you know, stick in the mud, like really just in some of the darkest times I've had as a composer, um, the one thing mm. that inspires me to keep going and to keep trying and to keep being better um, are my friends and family. I mean, oh. I have like, and, and I'm serious. Like I have a, no, that's great. a from my, from my 21st birthday, I have, have a big, um, uh, I guess you could, you could say it's like a note or a poster. It was a card. And um, I didn't realize people were, were writing on it. They were like handing it around secretly and writing, you know, nice little messages on it. And just about, I mean, just about everyone that's really close to me and people that I care about were there. And when I read those messages, you know, like I I've got that up on my wall right now. Cause every time I look at that, I think like these people, you know, they want me to succeed, you know, like they might not say it maybe sometimes, you know, it's sort of an unspoken thing, but obviously they want you to succeed and obviously they care about you. And, um, mm looking at those notes and looking at that and thinking like, you know, I'm going to keep going guys. Like, you know, even when it's hard for me, I'm not going to let you down or I'm not going to let my family down. Or I'm not going to let, you know, the people yeah. I really care about down. And, um, it enables me to in any, in any time when it's as dark as it can get, uh, pull myself out. You know, I take a moment, take a break, try to find something to inspire me and, um, go from there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Uh, you want to, yeah, you want to share. It's it's so nice sharing things with you know friends and family and yeah, having people exactly. around and you mean, that, that want the best for you and want you to succeed. Because, is like amazing feeling. Because my because my progression into film scoring and doing what I do is, I mean, honestly, I would consider it to be interesting because it's not a typical progression. Um, I had like an sort of a weird thing with my schooling. I failed music in high school. I've always mm. had, you know, I always had trouble reading music. Like music was always the thing I, I knew I wanted to do it, but I struggled with it so much. Mm. And, um, you know, I ended up uh, dropping out of year 10 or year 11. No, year 10, I think. I can't remember um, to pursue this. And, you know, I, I have had like, you know, quite a lot of success. I mean, I, as much of the as much crap as I've been through in film scoring, I've actually been doing really well. I've had a lot of successes, met some amazing people, and opportunities are still coming my way. And I've it's enabled me to to keep doing what I'm doing. But um, I find that you know, thinking about the people who have always supported me, people who knew, even in dark times, even in hard times, that you know I was to to still be there for me when I was trying to do these things. Um, I really appreciate that and think about it all the time yeah no that's that's an amazing thing to you know keep in the back I, mean, of your head I know while you're it's working. i know it's cheesy i know it's no, silly no, 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 but you know. not at all no that's great um but yeah i mean of course that's you know in a grand scheme of things if you're talking about like being inspired for a particular piece of music i mean like you know i try to keep my head clear from um what a client like uh have you heard of the term temp music Temp yeah, scoring. I was actually I was just about to bring temp music up because that's a common thing I hear about when a director will temp score something and be like, just make that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. So, so is that something that you got? Uh, temp scoring. So uh it is a common thing, happens all the time in professional film. It's a constant thing. Mm. And is there something wrong with it? Well, no, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It 
the problem comes from when um, a director develops this thing we call temp love. Mm. Um, and temp love is this phenomenon, which is that um, the director has asked, uh, or rather has, um, before they got you on board, but maybe they didn't even, maybe they didn't even want you. Maybe they wanted the guy who wrote the, the music that they're using to temp score it in the, you know, in the big boy scene where all the big boy composers live, you know, uh, <laughs> where, you know, if you're, if you're working in the scene where it's entirely possible that they could have gotten Hans, um, you know, why wouldn't they just take a piece of Hans's and temp score the, tra- the, the film with it, right? Yeah. Um, so there's nothing wrong with using that as inspiration, but when a director develops temp love, it's when they've heard a piece of music and they've often put it to the edit and even worse, even edited around it. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Not like that. <laughs> but the, it's a piece of music that they're, they're really attached to and you start to pick up on it. It's the first red flag you pick up on. I've picked up on it hundreds of times. I mean, really, you get it a lot, which is they'll show you what they want and you'll say, okay, either you'll ask them, all right, what do you mean by you want happy this? Or what do you mean by you want sad that? And they'll send you a track or they'll just send you the track with the, They'll send you the film with the temp score still on it. Mm. Um, and in those cir- circumstances, if I know the temp score is coming, I don't listen to it first. I mm, just okay. formulate my thoughts. I read, I'll read the script if I've got it. Um, I'll watch the film over a few times. If it's got no score on it, I'll just watch it a couple times. Um, I'll try to formulate my own thoughts, my opinions. I'll ask the director about the vibe and the aesthetic and the kind of thing he's going for. And then think about how I would do that for the film. Um, and then, you know, I might compose some very small things. I might not even show the director straight away. I'll just keep it to myself. And then I'll look at the temp score and have a, have a look, see how close I got, see if, um, we were in the same ballpark. And, um, often, it's a it's a good thing to temp music is the best way to find out what someone means. Yeah, it, yeah. Um, I was going to mention this earlier, but one of the biggest hurdles, ex- especially for inexperienced directors, um, is trying to describe the music and what they want. They have it in their head. They can think like, "Oh, I want this and want that," and they might use keywords you or emotional keywords like sadness, happiness, melancholy, reflection, mm. big, epic, assaulting wonderful they i mean it gets worse and worse the further away <laughs> you get from how specific it is i mean mm-hmm. you can say something like oh i just i want this i want beautiful music that evokes the feeling of the <laughs> film yeah. and in your mind as a composer you're just like what the fuck that's like the graphical <laughs> equivalent of like make it pop <laughs> yeah just thinking like do you want the music to be what now like okay <laughs> yeah. all right yeah. let me think about what that means and so you think about it in your head and you're like how do i know Especially like, you know, how do I know that my interpretation of what sad music is, is the same as what his interpretation is. And so the best way to do it is to ask him, Hey, send me a track that is exactly what you're thinking. And if you can pinpoint the exact tone or sound or thing, it doesn't even have to be an instrument, just a feeling at a particular moment. And even if they don't know they're doing it, what they're actually doing for you is picking a spot in the music and saying here, they're saying right here look here and you as a composer use that to solve the riddle you look Mm. at it and you go what's happening here was there a chord change did the music get quieter did the rhythm change Uh, is there a new instrument that's being introduced maybe the director i mean this happens all the time and obviously no fault to you but directors will say like oh i really like the um horn sound Mm. and then you're like uh there's no horn in that one buddy (laughs) 
and you're like, okay, what does he mean? And then you start looking into it, and you're like, okay, I think he means the clarinet. Yeah. I think he yeah, means yeah. the oboe. And I mean, God forbid you have directors try to use musical terms with you when they don't understand them. They'll be like, oh, I want the strings to be pizzicato. And you're yeah, like, oh, yeah. Okay. They're not the composer, right. are they? <laughs> yeah, you yeah, kind of have to like, decode there. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and you think, you think like, great, okay, he knows what he's talking about, pizzicato, no problem. You do pizzicato, and then he's like, why does the music sound so plucky? And <laughs> you're like, that's what that is. Yeah. And yeah. so the best way to do it is I would, the advice I would give for directors is um, do not get attached to your temp score. Don't expect your composer to just recreate it for you. Cause he's mm. not going to want to. Um, he might not say this to your face cause he wants to make money. But he doesn't <laughs> want to, I can guarantee you he does not want to. Yeah. And um, temp score is only a problem when you as a director are saying to your composer, and you might not even say it directly, but in what you're saying to him, you're basically saying, make this. Like, mm. you, he might, the director might not even say, um, hey, uh, can you please recreate this piece of music for me? He might say, um, oh, you know, I, I didn't really like what you did. Can you um, make the strings a little bit more like this? And he'll, he'll describe it to you. And then he might say, uh, oh, actually, can you, I kind of want the note in particular, this one to sound like this. And then you start realizing, hold on. You're turning my piece of music into <laughs> the thing back. that you were. We're just going back. So yeah, temp scoring is not a problem in concept. It's an amazing way to uh, get thoughts and feelings yep. instantly. You know, I had this in my most recent film that I worked on, and I don't have a problem talking about it um, because, I mean, how do you convey things like that without pointing to a piece of music and going that? Yeah, it's exactly. the easiest way. Um, well, I can I'll- use that as an example if you want, or we can go on to something else. I don't mind um i think we probably yeah i was actually i did want to ask you about the flip side of that to be honest was um so how would you go well do do you find it is it easier to start with a temp score or do you prefer to just not have it you personally because you said you didn't listen to it you didn't listen to the temp score i honestly prefer that the temp score isn't already attached to the film so yeah i would prefer that if you send me a a cut it doesn't have temp music already on it Mm -hmm. um it's like the worst thing, you know, the cut doesn't have, it might already have music on it. And you're just like, Oh crap. My brain's thinking about that now. Yeah. So, um, I guess, um, I like it when the temp music is given to you a little bit later on, as in like a, you, you know, you might have to ask like, Hey, um, what do you mean by this? And can you give me an example? And then he points to it and you go, ah, okay, cool. Mm. So that's kind of how I prefer it. Well, on the flip side, then this might be a, a big question. But uh, oh, yeah. what's the process of, you know, not having a temp score? How do you go about building like a track from scratch once you've seen a script or a cut of the movie or something? What's your process? So this is the like a hypothetical that I haven't asked him for a, any sort of temp score. I haven't asked him for something. I've just, he's just told me what he wants and I'm just going for it. I guess so. Yeah. What, what, what's the most common situation of you making a track? The most common situation. Um, so if I'm introduced on a film in, pre-production i tell them to either give me a mood board a script um the lighting stuff for the shot like um what kind of lighting they want to use it like uh not not necessarily the um technical charts but the um they have like examples from other films you know Mm -hmm. um they might if they have um concept art if they have uh anything you know we really want to nail down the narrative and the visual side of things because those are the two things that you really lock onto with the score Mm, so I'll ask for that. If they have that, I will start composing with those things in mind. I might even, um, in some extents, when you really want to go crazy and impress someone, you can make a radio play. 
which is um, oh, right. getting some friends and reading out the script. So you have like almost like a play and you're scoring <laughs> the script and the director can see how um, your music can match the beats in dialogue. Interesting. Okay, that's cool. So that's pretty cool. Um, you might even draw them a, uh, have them draw you or draw for them a chart that like maps out the emotional contour of the film. Now that oh. might sound weird, but yeah, that sounds if you weird. imagine a, li- a line essentially... Um, and imagining the film and, and with the talking purely hypothetical, we don't have any visuals yet. This is very early on. Yep. So you imagine a line, you're looking at the script and you go, okay, well, halfway through the film, the main character's sister, I don't know, has like an overdose or gets hit by a car or something that's sad happens. Yep. Um, you would then, the line would go down to represent like, okay, something has happened. And then, you know, as the film changes, the line goes up. Uh, you know, the, the character is reaching the pinnacle of the, cool. of, the, of the film, the line goes all the way to the top and then it drops. And you don't even have a film to look at. You don't have visuals, but you have a script. You've got an emotional contour. You've got visuals. You have everything you need to start scoring. So long mm, as you have a okay. good relationship with the team. Um, and so at that point, so you, will you start more commonly in pre-production? I won't start scoring. And I always say this. You never, ever, ever, ever start scoring like properly until they give you a locked off picture yep okay never don't even try it you can make suites that are like you know hey um this is to give you an idea this is to um you know my thoughts and feelings or you might say like here i'm going to try composing this little track see how you feel about it you might even do like a rough cut you might score the rough cut but never put in the mile the effort of like when you're doing like for a because pictures they will lock it off and then they'll unlock it and lock it and unlock it a million times. And then what happens is if the edit changes, even by one second, mm. all the music you've just done is out of sync. Yeah. God forbid they take scenes yeah. out and put in new ones. This is, yeah, I, I can relate to that as well. I'm, I'm, I have an editing project at work at the moment, which is this, yeah, a two minute video, which I have, everything's like cut very closely to the to the uh to the music and then every uh, now and then they'll be like let's, yeah. let's put in this i'm like well now i kind of i basically have to redo it <laughs> like i have to recut everything yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no no way but that's partially my problem because i haven't set the project up in a proper way so maybe i'll learn from this but yeah, yeah i um i would score maybe i like to do this for um certain directors every now and then is like i'll do a suite just like a hey okay this is my idea of kind of like the general like especially if we've got a lot of time and you know, in pre-production, you usually do. Um, here's an idea: my you know, a suite of different themes and motifs that represent the certain things, mm. um, which is nice and all. Um, but then, when you get a rough cut, you start to hone it in a little bit more. So, if you imagine it as a one big block of stone, and the stone is dropped in front of you as soon as the idea is dropped in front of you, and very slowly, as we draw towards locking it off for the final cut, the lock off, it's done. You're chiseling bits and pieces out of this piece of stone, and so. Maybe the first, and you know, let's say at the end of the road is this beautiful sculpture. You've solved the puzzle. You've solved the riddle. You've done the perfect score for this film or whatever. And the whole time you're chiseling this stone down, taking bits and pieces off like, okay, well, we've established that the director likes this instrument. Boom. That's a piece of the stone gone. We've established Mm. that the director wants the music here. Boom. Piece of the stone gone. And it slowly, slowly, you know, you get down to the rough cut and then you're like, ah, I have a general idea about how the film will be edited. Now I can sort of generally feel how the film will be put, the music will be put to it. Boom. Stone is being chiseled down and, um, you know, it gets refined. And I mean, the best thing you can do with a, a composer, if you've never worked with them before, I highly recommend you have what is called a spotting session. Okay. And, um, um, in a film, 
what we call the individual pieces of music that go to the film, uh, we call them cues. Okay. And um, a cue have, has a very specific way it has to be named regarding which cue it is and um, what portion of the film it takes up. So in the past, this would, they, um, they would be marked based on the reels of film, like literal film. And um, I don't know exactly how long each reel could hold. I think it might've been 20 minutes or 30 minutes. I mean, like this is, um, you know, I have no idea exactly how long, but you know, you might have a, um, a queue titled one M one and that's your first queue or whatever. And then once you, you know, there'd be one M two, one M three, one M four, whatever. And then eventually you get to 20 minutes later and you've run out of film and they have to put in the new reel. So now this is queue two M one, two M two or whatever. Hmm. Um, and that's how you, you know, name your cues. And uh, the individual cues, uh, pieces of music, and um, the director, obviously, the placement of these cues is extremely important. And getting this nailed uh, and set in stone as soon as possible with a director is, oh, my God, it saves you so much trouble down the line. I mean, it's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. There have been projects where we haven't had spotting sessions, maybe because one of us forgot. And, oh, God, they're always the worst having a spotting session straight away oh it's the best because the director is literally right there and he's telling you he wants music right there you don't have to yeah. guess you don't have to like you know you never get this thing where as a composer you're like oh you know i think the music should be here and then you do it it's amazing you love the way it sounds and then a director looks at it and it goes uh you know let's get rid of that one i don't like where that one is let's move it there yeah. you know so no, you can avoid that that's really i can see the importance of that i can relate to that as well because yeah you want to you want to be on the same page as the director. You want to understand completely what they want, where it is, so you can just go well, he, and blast out the yeah. music, right? Uh-huh. And they also need to have this moment where they respect you yeah. as a composer. Yeah, so you, you kind of get to a point where they go like, okay, here's yeah. what my parameters are, and then they will yeah, yeah. let you take over and put your details yeah. in, right? Yeah, yeah. it's basically the director saying like, okay, I'm setting my sort of side of the bargain. This is where the, the film, the where we as composer and director agree film yeah. music should go. And, you know... This is where having a director respect you is really important because if they um, are just treating you like a tool and they don't really care, or if they, you know, you got to keep in mind, like when, when you're bringing on a composer, as much as you think you know about music, you don't. Not as much as <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah, you shouldn't, right? Yeah, you shouldn't. Yeah. But basically, the spotting session, as I'll wrap up, is a chance for you and the director to say, hey, this is where music goes in the film. And you have literally yep. a chart of the cues having been spotted saying, Oh, music goes from here to here. And then when you're scoring yeah. the film, this is like your Bible, no matter what, mm. if you follow those rules in that little piece of paper, the director can't get mad at you because you did what he asked. Yeah. <laughs> you put the music where he <laughs> asked for it. And you know, you've already set the ground rules at that point. Cause you might've said to the director, Hey, you know, like I think from um, two thirteen to uh, five sixteen is a great moment that the score should really, um, you know, take charge. And then after that, I think the best thing would be for the sound design to take charge. And the director might go, hmm, yes, that's a good idea. And then, you know, you think, great. Well, when I'm scoring the film, I know he's already agreed to that. I'll do it. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah I mean, well, in terms of collaboration then, with you, like, it sounds like trust is this I mean, super important thing to you know, set those parameters, trust each other, and then kind of let each other go do your thing. If you care about someone's feelings, trust is very important. If you don't, yeah. it's not. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do yeah. you? Because you've you've had a bunch of different collaborative projects over the last couple of years. What have uh -huh. you learned about collaboration, and what have you seen that has worked 
on a successful project versus not okay. in terms of collaboration on a successful project. So in terms of successful, what what are our, what's our description of successful? Like That's a good question. Just things, create, your, your general like, happiness and you're being satisfied okay, so creatively. My happiness, I'll, I'll and say people being happy this, together. Yeah, <laughs> my, my happiness and also based on how good the film ended up being, I'll probably put that in there as a parameter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. So first of all, the big red flag is being driven by money. Yeah. Okay. Obviously you want money. There's nothing wrong with that. It's okay to want to make money and do everything you can to do that. It's okay to, you know, sometimes um, not have the best of times because you're making ends meet. There's nothing wrong with that. I've done it a million times, but you can let it really cloud your vision as to what kind of person you're dealing with um, and mm. things that you agree to. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. When it comes to collaboration, some of the things you want to look out for are, well, you should actually enjoy the thing it is that you're working on. If you, yeah, okay. um, let's say, this is going to be, sound crazy and hypothetical, but let's say you absolutely despise beavers, <laughs> okay? And a film comes your way and it is a 60-minute documentary about beavers. <laughs> and all you're hearing, the beaver has long teeth and loves to chomp on trees and build little lairs in the water for 60 minutes <laughs> and you're just like yeah you're gonna play your brains out <laughs> you're just gonna like you're just gonna like no 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 and then like 15 minutes later the beaver c c builds little holes in the sand <laughs> you're just like no, i don't want to learn anymore about the beavers have, have you had projects like that where you haven't enjoyed the the topic of it because maybe you haven't had the great choice of being able to choose what you're working on and then have yeah, you kind of yeah. made it into something how have you made it into something that you've of, enjoyed of course i've had that many times many times yeah. i mean <laughs> especially when you're starting out you don't really have the liberty to turn a film down if it pays because yeah. you need that money and um mm. in a lot of cases if you've got a film especially a long one that you don't really vibe with you have to find something you have to find mm. something about it to, to inject a little bit of your creativity and your vibe into. Um, yeah. And then when the director tries to shut that down, it's even worse because you're like, man, I don't even like your film. And you're telling me. <laughs> I don't like it, but I, I started to like it when I made it like this and you want to take that away. It's like, yeah. Yes, guaranteed. Yeah. I've had that tons of times. I was yeah. like, I was I just starting to enjoy this film. And then, oh no, yeah. the beavers, you know. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. That's a tricky I mean, one. But no, I think you're right about it. it's. It's great to choose something that you want to work on. But I think, yeah, I've had in the past of topics that I've been like, this is going to be dumb. And then I start working, I'm like, I think, and when things start coming together, I'm like, this is actually, this is going to turn out all right, actually. This is going to be pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. But nah, yeah, it's, it's 100%. Much the thing that, you know, you like. <laughs> it is a drastic difference because immediately what happens is, well, hopefully, if you're working with a director who's making something that you really like, like you really vibe with it, like this is something I would have interacted with regardless of our inter you know, our um, collaboration. Like if it's a game and they tell you the idea for the game and you're like, damn, that sounds awesome. Like I would have played that, you know, regardless or if it's a film or whatever. And you're, and you're like, I want to be a part of this. Like I really want to be a part of this because I think I could really do something here. The mm. inspiration flows insanely and also if that director likes what you like it's pretty often that you you guys are going to have like commons uh things in common um and you guys are going to almost immediately solve the first problem which is having a nice relationship with each other mm. um and as soon as you got that i mean in a lot of cases you're set because even if you have disagreements you guys can work it out in the end yeah yeah absolutely so 
my experience with music, I loved playing with Garage Band as a kid. Okay. And ever since then, I've still kind of got I got Logic <laughs> on my computer. I'll get I like I I love soundtracks and I love getting on into the details of music. So I'm like I like and bits of music and being like oh I love the way that that kind of shifts there and that uh, resolves into that. And I, I can yeah. I, I like thinking about that kind of stuff. I just never pursued music in any kind of formal way. So uh, I have huge skill gaps, but I'm super passionate about music. Mm-hmm. So he, here's an example of what I do when I get inspired <laughs> musically. Yeah. I'll hear a melody in something and I'll immediately run over to like Cordify, get the chords for it, copy them into <laughs> my door and uh-huh. my logic or whatever. Uh-huh. And I'll make like like a bar of music and I'll be like, okay, I'll, I guess I'll put like a couple of different instruments. I'll put like a arpeggiator on it, make mm. a bass line. And I'll that's have awesome. this like, I'll have a simple set and that's it. But that's, that's as much as I do. Right. So I'll end up with like a bar of music, like a, a loop. Yeah, and then I'll yeah. be like, I don't know what to do. Like, what? how do I make that into like an actual bit of music? As opposed to just like copying the entire track. Okay, right? so, well, so what would be the next step for me to turn right, that well, into something better? Without going like too crazy on the amount of things you've probably skipped <laughs> over regarding how to get, yeah. you know, like it's like for me to say, now here's the next step. It's like, okay, yeah. well, it's not just like I do that. It's like I learned for, uh, for years on how to do it. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I suppose for me, I don't want to be a master at music. I don't want to get to a point where I can score a movie. But if I could make some melodies and make a, some sounds for an animation I did or something, that would be a goal that I'd like to get to. A lot of it depends on um, how much you know about music. So music, and and I mean this as sincerely as possible, is unbelievably, it's this freaking ocean, dude, of just mm. things you can do with it. And the amount of skill required to do certain things and the knowledge, like, so the amount of knowledge that you have in terms of theory and in terms of um, how music works um, sort of represents the pool of, if you think of it as tools in a sort of a more mechanical sense or as um, maybe Mm -hmm. abilities or something, you know, um, that you can pull from. So you might think, uh, okay, I don't know anything about music, but I have learned very aptly how to play a certain chord or i have learned very aptly how to play a chord progression and i might not understand that the notes are called certain things or why that sounds good when i go from a five to a one but it sounds good i'm using my ears Mm. and building your ears is integral for being a really good composer and you know a really good musician all around building up your your oral skills your your ears and so Mm. um I mean, that was something that, you know, building, building up uh, skills by using um, my ears uh, is one of the main ways I got into what I'm doing. But regardless, mm-hmm. you're, you've made your little loop and um, you want to turn it into something. I mean, <sighs> I think the biggest thing, I, I, every now and then when I'm doing it and I'll, I'll hit that ceiling, I'll be like, I just need to go like, okay i'm missing the theory i need to go yes, watch like yes. you know, i see a course or something yep, like, yep, 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 probably yep. so the ceiling you've hit is you've taken you as far as that pool i was talking about can take you so yeah. you've got a limited amount of knowledge and so you can only improvise or create with that amount of knowledge and when you think about the pool of uh, the, the ocean sorry of um things you can do with music and your pool your life as a musician is dedicated to increasing that pool and pulling as many things into it as possible. And so mm. in your current state, you think you're good enough so far to make a little loop, which is fantastic. That's how I started, was by fiddling around with things like that. Um, mm. And your next step should be to try to increase your pool. 
because when you do that, you'll have something new to do. And so you have harmony, you have melody, you have rhythm, you have um, the production side of it when it comes to mixing and all of that stuff. You've got um, oral skills, like being being able to identify these things and tell what they are and create them at a moment's notice. Um, and you have the knowledge and the skill or perhaps the talent or the expertise to um, aesthetically place these things in a way that makes sense to you and that you like. And so long as mm. you like it, and so long as it says something to you or to somebody else, and, you know, like all the, like people who say that rap is bad because it's just mumbling or something like that are ridiculous, mm. you know? Um, people who say that pop music is crap because it just repeats the same chords. Look, it's, you can just make whatever music you want to make, man. Mm. I think sometimes with music as well, I assume that I can do more with the knowledge I have, but I suppose like any other tool that I'm using, like 3D tools or, you know, something in graphics, like constantly watching tutorials there. So maybe it's time to go look at a more, you know, in-depth course or something to, yeah, like you said, expand the pool. Yep. And I say this to anybody who wants to get into music because I came from a background of no musical training. I didn't have musicians in my family. I didn't have any of that. I was somebody who fell in love with film scoring music at a very young age. Um, and at one point decided that's what I wanted to do. And from then on, from a very young age, dedicated everything in my life to completing that goal. And mm. I went from failing music in high school, not being able to name the notes in my audition for my certificate four. He asked me to play a D major chord and I played a D minor chord because I didn't know what that was. <laughs> I did not know. But he then asked me, just play something just play anything. And I started to improvise and I played the first thing that came to my head. And up until this point, even though I didn't have any musical training, all I had been doing was playing piano. I didn't know what the mm. notes were. I just played. And I started by looking up videos on YouTube. And you know, when they show that synesthesia program where they show the notes coming down and they show you which notes to press. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I know the one. That was like, that's how I learned. That's how I started. I yeah. literally looked at that and I was like, huh, well, the funny light says I should press uh, that note. So uh, that's exactly what. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm like. I yeah, don't yeah. have a. Yeah. You go like, it basically starts with, hmm, thing look like that. I press <laughs> that one. Ooh, or e funny sound. <laughs> or even I've gone as deep as like, oh, what's that chord that that guy's that guy's playing in that live set? And I'll be like pausing it, trying to look at his fingers, being like, is that kind yes. of an old kind? <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, for sure, dude. That's. I mean, yeah. I started with ones that didn't even have the synesthesia thing. It, I was literally yeah. looking at a guy's hands and trying yeah. to figure out. I have. I mean, I don't know if it's still around. Like I don't rotating know where the it is. phone and being like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't know where it is, but my first ever keyboard, my like a really cheap Casio. Um, and it still has these on them, but I, um, I wrote, um, letters on the keyboard, like not, not the letters of the notes. So not like, um, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, whatever. <laughs> oh man, that's hilarious. And I would say, okay, well this note is A and that note is G. And I, from a very young age, I actually, this is called, um, transcription which is you hear something and then you try to write it down by playing, like, you know, you um yeah. you hear a melody that goes, da, 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 you know, and then you yeah. you just go, oh, um it's this, da, 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 and you play it out and then you notate it or whatever. And so this is an excerpt from a time where I was like this little baby boy 
on a little little keyboard didn't know anything about music but uh in a film i think it was um the wind and the lion uh a, a film with sean connery in it um and it had this melody that i f- fell in love with is and i still mm. love it it's amazing i mean i'm i'm super inspired by by that era of um hollywood music mm, but yeah, nice. i listened to that pressed the notes on my keyboard that sounded like those notes and then wrote it down on a piece of paper and so the notes on the piece of paper weren't like c c sharp to f or whatever it was literally like a b to like g to like whatever letter i mean the the you know it only ever goes from you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, back to A or whatever. But it doesn't, you know, like letters that didn't exist in music anyway. <laughs> that's <laughs> so funny. Like you found a way anyway. That's, that's interesting. I would recommend that you do it often. You don't stop and you try to learn theory. Don't avoid it. Don't yeah, avoid okay. theory because I tried to. And um, all my life I struggled with learning theory. And um, the one thing that changed it, you know, in high school I, I had a teacher and she tried, you know, she was very – I wasn't um, – Technically, I didn't have the knowledge to to learn with her. Like, it wasn't a um. I didn't have the required amount of skill to take up the music program at that school. But mm. she actually offered to take me on as a student just because she I heard she heard me play and she was like, you know, I want to teach you. And I didn't really fully grasp a lot of the stuff she was telling me. Um, but it was great, and uh, it I still didn't really learn really theory until um, you know I. I really started to apply myself and I, I did this course, this online mm. course to prepare me for um, my cert four that I was going to do. Oh yeah. And, um, you know, that online course took me from it pieced it all together, literally oh, one yeah. after another. I was like, Holy shit. Everything makes sense. Now I get it. You know, ah, like, cool. What's the course called? Ah, uh, I gotta, I don't know if I can, if, if you, if you find it, I'll put it in the, the show notes for this. Cause that's, I'll, a, that's I'll a good find resource. It. I, I'll see if you can get to get onto it without having to be a student or anything. I'll see if you can get onto it and it's just free to ever, for everyone. But it literally yeah, cool. takes you from, I'm a little baby man. I don't know music to, Oh, I am relatively better <laughs> at music and ready to t- start right. a course. So highly right, recommend right. that. Well, that's, that's how I feel with, um, when I do whatever, some kind of creative project where you'll get inspired and then you'll hit a gap, the skill gap, you're like, okay, I need to go back. I'm not ready to do this. I need to go back out and I need yeah. to learn those mm-hmm. kind of skills. We're do you still feel that yeah. right now? Do you, are you still learning things about music? Yes, guaranteed. Right in front Great. of me, man, I have an, a post-it note that says, practice harmony, sight reading, piano tech, orchestration, oral skills. My weaknesses, voice leading, modes, tritone substitution, secondary dominance, uh, singing, chord identification, arranging for strings, bass, and woodwinds. Uh, notating in different keys, uh, quartal harmony, quintal harmony, uh, learning uh, new pieces, transcription, modulation. I literally have these things in front of me and they are my goals to eventually get to the point where I'm so good at all of them that I can add them to my pool. Because right now I can play and look, I'm, I'm not bad. You know, I can play and it'll sound good and people will say, oh my God, you're amazing, whatever. But then I think about it and if you compare me to a guy like Jacob Collier or any of those really amazing jazz pianists who, that's their thing, man. Like they focused everything Mm. on practicing every day, you know, multiple hours. I am not a comparison. I can sound like them and I can, you know, really, you know, in certain keys, in certain, you know, with certain progressions, really, you know, sound like them. But as soon as you tell me to modulate up or something or tell me to change keys or tell me to do something I've never done before that's not in my pool, I'm going to immediately struggle. Mm. So 
that's, that's good. why that's, I, you know so there's just so much to yeah do you go for youtube tutorials do you go online courses do you read in theory like I, what do you i have uh, a couple books that i have um for certain things that i use they're like little yeah little little bibles of of um arranging or principles or um fundamentals um mm. that i sort of call upon every now and then but the best you know it's nice and easy to have a video explain it to you if you ever need to and a lot of the time it you really need to take it slow you know um i feel like before you ever start practicing you need to learn how to practice take it slow take a little mm. chunk out of it you know say today for the next week i'm going to focus on learning these keys these key signatures or i'm going to focus on learning something that i don't know you know i'm going to step out of my safe uh, my safe zone try to find new tools and bring them back to my pool I think the best way to do it, especially when you're just getting started, and I mean you've never done music before, I say the most important thing is that you do it regularly, not how long you do it for. So five minutes a day, just five minutes a day, sit down and practice. It doesn't matter what it is. It has to be something that you don't already know. That's the most important thing, you know, and eventually yeah. that is how you get to practicing four hours, you know, four hours a day. And, you know, I honestly probably wouldn't go beyond four hours a day because you actually need your brain to settle. Mm. I've heard stories um, of uh, a cellist who studied at Box Hill with me, not with me, but before me, who practiced so often that she completely fucked her hand up and she couldn't play anymore. I mean, even me, I would practice so often that my fingers would bleed. (laughs) You're getting into, uh, what's the movie with uh, J.K. Simmons? Get into whiplash territory. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a certain technique that, you know, if you do it improperly called a glissando, which is where you, um, you know, ride your fingers all the way up the keys and it goes like, yeah, that destroy the ends of them. And if you do it incorrectly, it rips your fingers to shreds. So, you know, I'd have that problem. I'd have pressing keys too hard. And then like maybe my, um, the skin of my finger presses into my nail and kind of cuts it a little bit. Oh yeah. No, it's the same thing with, uh, you know guitar and building the calluses up on your fingers and you know oh man i wish i could learn guitar i wish i could learn a new instrument but with guitar i really struggle uh, yeah it hurts it hurts man yeah yeah (laughs) it is it is interesting having those hobbies like even uh like rock climbing or something after you do that for like an hour or you know if you've never done it before it's like if you want to keep doing it but your body just can't do it anymore uh, (laughs) and and it's it's deceptive because you get into this mindset that's like you know, the me that practices five hours every day will be better than the me that practiced three hours because I had more time. But the you that practiced five hours had less time for his brain to sh- just calm down, take mm. in the information and let yep. it simmer because, mm, absolutely, you know, it's, it's less about trying to practice for as long as you can and more about retaining the information and being able to recall it and being able to, um, you know, like if I go, uh, Oh, what are the chords in this key? I need to be able to get them like this. Bang, 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 bang. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think, oh, what is the, you know, how? Do, what is this chord in this key? Uh, you know, you yeah. need to get to a point where you retained it and you you can just do it at a moment's na- uh, notice. And you get into the mindset that doing it more is what, you know, like five hours or something will, will get it settled and maybe it will. But I would say that you really only need to go four hours max is probably what I would say. Um, just right. to you know, keep yourself safe, not, not fuck up your hands or your mind yeah. or anything. I mean, <laughs> rest. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's like going to the you gym, start... got to let your body recover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's all good advice. You know, you got to let your body rest. You got to let your mind retain the information. You've got to build habits, start small, do a little bit a day. And then that builds up to 
you know, possibly doing four hours a day if you want. 100%. 100%. Well, my last question would be, uh-huh. what, uh, okay. what's, what's next for you? What do you want to learn? What have we got on the horizon? Okay. What's well, going on? Let's see. I guess um, short term, I'm, I'm trying to work on myself. So I'm trying to work on myself like it's a project that I would ever, like I'd work on like a film. Like hmm. I want to become healthier. I want to, you know, just live a better life. You know, yeah, I'm nice. trying to just improve my life on a day-to-day basis and treat myself like I'm just a, you know, like I said, just a little bit at a time every now and then yeah. just make it daily. Um, I'm trying to get, you know, practice more often. Like I said, I have all this, I have this huge list of things I need to master. I, um, you know, continuing the work that I'm doing on the games that are coming my way, which I adore, and you know, the films as well. Um, scrounging up the opportunities that come my way whenever I can. Um, working on tabletop stuff, which we did. That's all another story. We didn't talk about that, but yeah, you have to yeah, come again uh, and we'll talk we, about we, yeah, tabletops we'll talk, and we'll talk about yeah. table stuff and, and all that. Yeah. Uh, that's a whole different story. So, you know, Next time. working on the tabletop system that I'm making. Um, so, you know, things like that. But in the long term, like, my goals really are just to um, keep putting myself out there, um, keep making music that I like, try to discover. You know, I feel like I've, after all the stuff I've been through over the years, where my mindset went from, I am a hotshot, I am the best, to, oh God, I hate my life, to <laughs> just, you know, yeah, it, it's there's the th- three phases. It was, um, uh, what, what did they call it uh, in box, in, in, back at uni? They had names for it. I can't remember what my first one was, but it was like, Oh, it was lead, leader Nick Nathan Bell used to call me because uh, <laughs> whenever we would have a problem with class, we would scrounge, we'd go up together to the office and be like, "Hey, where is our lecturer?" You know, um, and so that's what Nathan, Mr. Nathan Bell, called me. I think, um, and then um, in second year, I became punished Nick. It was my, <laughs> it was my suffering. It was my like that was the you know through second year and third year was where I was like the transition into this has so many facets about it. This job of being a composer has so many negative facets attributed to it that I started to mm. realize them all at once. And I started to really get down about it. Now I've sort of become, I like to call um, I don't know what I would call this one. This is um, just, I'm trying to be more chill. You know, I know that there are tons of opportunities out there for, for me and, I really just want to treat every job and every person who comes my way equally and just, you know, do the best I can for their projects and give them the best score I can. Cause that's always at the end of the day. My goal is to become the best composer I can. And at the heart of it all, I want to treat every project and every director I meet as a, oh, there's my cat. I told you my cat would come into this. <laughs> Finally. Finally, my moment. cat has come into play. No, I want to, <laughs> I want to treat every director, every, every, anyone who comes my way as a, a friend and just, hmm be chill. You know, we both want to make this work. Here's my expertise. Here's your expertise and let's do it, you know? And, um, I just want to hopefully, you know, with all the games that I will have worked on and all the projects I will have put out, someone will take notice and maybe one day something nice will happen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I can, I can guarantee that will happen. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. All right. All right, Nick. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate right. you coming on and thank sharing you your for... wise words and teaching me about all this stuff. It's been really That's good. That's all right. No, thank you for having me. If you ever want me back on to talk about some other thing, whether it's music related or anything else, I'm more than happy to do so. 
Awesome. That'd be great. There's a, a world of topics that we've missed, so definitely. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right, there it is. Thanks very much for listening, and thanks to Nick for coming on and sharing everything he had to say. Really appreciate it. I really like that Nick is so determined and he's really confident, but it's also interesting hearing the different stages of confidence he went through when he was studying and when he started working. You know, he was a bit of a hotshot at the start, but the more he worked and the more he's studying, the more he learned about the craft, the more it kind of humbled him, I think. But it sounds like now he's at a really nice even stage where he's worked out everything after working on what he's worked on. So all the best to Nick. I think there was some good advice there at the end as well about getting started. Um, yeah, building a habit, practicing every day, but starting small, maybe only five minutes, but then that might build up to like four hours if you're a beast like Nick. <clears throat> he also mentioned practicing properly and slowly. It's not just playing random stuff. It's, yeah, thinking about what you're doing and taking it, taking your time with it. Letting, and then also after the practicing, resting and letting your mind retain it, don't, not going for too long. Um, so I think he had some good stuff to say about that. And even though I don't work in music, I can definitely relate to a lot of the things he said or things that he's had to overcome or things that he enjoys about it. Um, so yeah, maybe if you're listening, maybe you did as well. If you want to see more of Nick, you can find him on YouTube, Instagram. All the links are on the website. But apart from that, thanks very much. I'll see you in the next one. Bye.